You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Uh, visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Well, hello and welcome everybody to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, the podcast where we explore uh, innovation and new ideas in the built environment uh, and the human environment and the technological environment and everything in between. Um, today, I am very excited to be joined by Amber Rashane, uh, who, there she is. Thank you for joining us, Amber. Happy to be here. Um, who is the Senior Project Design Manager for the City of Santa Monica Public Works in the Architectural Division, um, and just completed recently on Earth Day, on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, uh, the City Services Building, the brand new City Hall, basically, if you will. Um, that is right there behind the old city hall, which is a, an architectural uh, element of Santa Monica. And, and the new one is as well. And we're gonna talk all about that and talk about maybe some of the other projects that the city, city of Santa Monica has in the works. Um, but what's so cool about that building um, is that it was done with the Living Building Challenge from the International Living Future Institute. And Amber will tell us more about what that's all about. But first I'd love to, just kind of hear about how you got involved in planning and design and uh, architecture, environmental design. Uh, you have, you know, some, some fun credentials. And uh, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about your, you know, how you, how you got excited about the environment and about uh, buildings and how those two things can, can kind of come together. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Ian, for having me. I'm really honored to be a part of this podcast. It's very exciting. Um, always happy to share about the City Hall East, as we call it now. It nice. was called the City Services Building um, for the planning and design. Um, but since you asked about me a little bit, um, I'm an East Coaster by upbringing, raised in New Jersey, went to school at Syracuse for something called environmental design, hmm. uh, which sort of architecture, landscape, and interiors all rolled together. And just fell in love. Um, I sort of fell into the, the, the major, um, having to pick something for college. And then from there, uh, worked in architecture firms. Um, started out in DC. And in about 2004 was the first time I had heard about LEED. And I was working on the US Census Bureau for Skid Rowings and Merrill. And just, it seemed like it made sense. Like, why would you choose some design, design choices over others? Um, how do you talk to a client, right? I was very junior at that point, but it still was a, it, it resonated with me, which I, I believe, especially in design, when you believe in what you're doing, you produce better designs and you fight for those ideals and, and, and ideas. Um, it also was a separator for me, right? It was something that professionally 
uh, I knew something a little different, right? And I looked at things a little differently and that's embraced in the design culture. So that, that, that really sort of um, felt good as a, a, a junior designer. Uh, progressed in my career, I went on to get my master's in urban and environmental planning. And I'd say that's where sort of the synthesis of when you have an impact, you can have an impact on a building, but when you have an impact on an ecosystem or an entire city or an entire neighborhood, right, there's exponential impacts that you're now able to think about. Um, and that idea of systemic thinking and we're all a network, we're all a, a web together on this planet. Um, and how can we all do our best in any type of project? And so for a second, back in yeah. 2004, I mean, LEED was new. I mean, yeah. not, not brand new, but only a couple of years old. And mm -hmm. um, so I assume at that point, when you got your LEED credentialing, you know, you were probably one of maybe couple dozen folks yeah. in the country really yeah I was one of the first definitely first few hundred for sure yeah um and it was I mean doing a lead silver project was like a spaceship landing nobody <laughs> we, nobody knew what they were doing <laughs> which was a blessing and a curse right you get to figure it out together right we didn't EPDs weren't a thing right just getting what a, what the VOCs on a, a material were was a big deal yeah. and so seeing that market transformation and being part of that being part of the moving that forward was really exciting as well. And like, all right, we're all in this together and we're going to figure it out. Um, so That's cool. Environmental really... product declarations and volatile organic compounds for anybody who Sorry. doesn't know those terms. Yes, thank you. <laughs> My husband accuses me of speaking in jargon too often, so apologies. It's every industry though. It's not just this industry, <laughs> you know, people love acronyms. <laughs> they do. Can't help them. So much easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was on the East Coast for a number of years and then came to uh, the West Coast. Uh, my husband wanted to go to grad school and I wanted to live on the West Coast and he got a full ride to USC. So nice. <laughs> we chose LA. Very cool. <laughs> um, and I, I had always thought it would be San Francisco, but I was like, all right, two, three years. You can do anything for two, three years. Uh, we've now been here for almost 15. So there's that. <laughs> um, but I started with uh, Callison and in urban planning, but mixing in sustainability and working with our, our building and technology folks um, and really solidified my career there. I started fairly junior and worked my way up to being a senior associate vice president. So right below being a vice president. Um, was and you were in the performance, oh, you were just about to say it, but the performance driven design department, which I think is kind of a cool name for, for the department because, you know, one of my questions is what's your working definition of sustainability, but you know, performance is definitely a huge aspect of sustainability. So did you come up with that, that name or did you help come up with that name for Callison? No. So um, at Callison, we used, we had a sustainability group and then we got bought by Arcadis and joined with our TKL because they already owned our TKL. Our TKL actually used the performance driven or coined the performance driven design word. I think it's actually trademarked. <laughs> um, and so I stepped into that studio and became the leader of that studio. And so we worked across all 18 offices. We had 40 people on our team um, and basically tried to work on all of our projects throughout those offices to infuse sustainability and, uh, as the name suggests, the performance of those buildings or projects um, to make them better. 
to make them perform better, to have metrics that we could then report on, right? To say, we save this many things of carbon here or this many trees there or this many kilowatts um, in this other way. Um, and it's everything from very small projects, right? Individual retail stores, all the way up to huge, you know, hundreds of acres master plans. And so how do you get the orientation correct? How do you get the solar exposure? What are the rules that say, um, right, where shading has to occur for a facade, right? It was a wide breadth of projects. It was also working with a lot of developers to say, what is your sustainable strategy, right? We've now designed this sustainable store, let's say, if you want to do more of these, let's look at green leasing, right? Get into those very core business practices that make it easier for our clients who wanted to do better to actually do better and not be hamstrung by a lease that they can't submeter in. So it was looking at very practical items to help further the cause of reducing energy and water consumption. And I'd say coming into that was also carbon, right? Um, I've been at the city three years now. And so I'll say five years ago, carbon started to come in in a, in a real way, right? The, the developer market uh, reacts differently than a, a public or a um, um, private side sometimes. Um, and having carbon come in. So where you talk about what is the definition of sustainability, I, I'd say it, it keeps evolving and that's a good thing, um, right? And people fall down on different sections. Um, I used to be very hardcore energy and also started working a lot with materials because that embodied carbon in those materials and what's the impact on local communities. Um, when you look at access to clean air and fresh uh, and clean water, the in communities that are impacted most are generally minority communities, low-income communities of color. So there's an equity issue there as well. There's a diversity and inclusion is, uh, issue there. So and the reason behind that, if, if I'm correct, is that a lot of those, you know, the, the land is cheaper to, to manufacture. To, so it's, it's a lot with supply chain and, and mm -hmm. um, product manufacturing that, yes. that ends up sort of with that disproportionately impacting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so it's, Right. It, so um, for materials for a while, you know, still caring about energy. And as, as we look at our climate, right, the car carbon is the number one thing, right? Reducing the carbon output. So what does that mean? What can we actually affect by 2030? Um, right. Callis and RTKL participated in the 2030 Arc challenge, right? Can you design projects that are better and can you measure how it, that, what that reduction impact is. And so that measurability and that performance always really resonated with me because it gave you a tactile reason why and a, a way to talk to somebody that maybe only speaks dollars and cents or numbers or is very black and white. When you start to speak their language, they listen more. <laughs> you, have, yeah. you have an easier, easier way in. So um, I've always been I'm a pretty practical person. <laughs> I don't do things just because it's like, it's gotta make rational sense or it's gotta, it's gotta seem like it's making an impact. And so using that data and using those performance metrics and being able to see right, carbon as, I'd say right now for me, it's the reduction of carbon. And that means reduction of carbon in materials. That means reduction of carbon in ener energy consumption and water consumption and that energy water nexus. And so, what brought me to the city of Santa Monica was the opportunity to work on a living building because as I had been progressing in my career, um, living buildings are the pinnacle, right? Buildings that can actually sustain themselves. As you, you know, talk about sustainability, 
arguably those are the only actual sustainable buildings because they sustain themselves and their occupants as best as possible or is working with within their regulatory uh, frameworks, yeah. which is usually, you know, the hardest part. Um, but working on that goal and seeing how close you can get and how far you can push and can you actually construct this thing that a lot of people are like, it's like a spaceship. And it, it kind of is because it sustains itself as a spaceship does, right? You, you don't have the, the blackness of space, but, um, uh, and it's, it's been amazing. It's just been a great project, so. And I got uh, a chance to, to, you know, before the lockdown here, I actually got a chance to, to walk through and um, it wasn't complete yet at the time, but we got to see some of the systems and, um, the orientation and, uh, you know, just, just some of the really next level, uh, stuff that you guys had done design that you, yeah. that you guys had done. Um, and I'm curious, cause I know there were, there were years and years of studies, uh, done prior to the beginning of the project. So did you come in kind of when some of those had already been done or where, where did you come in in the process? So the, the history of the city services building, right. It was, concepted 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, it wow. was, we, we knew, the city of Santa Monica knew that we needed to consolidate out of leased spaces, because as you can imagine, leases in Santa Monica are very expensive. Yeah. And the city had outgrown historic city hall and it was built in 1939. So we just didn't have space for everyone. So consolidating everyone so that people could be near each other, which also meant better cross uh, silo, right? Cross division, cross department. Uh, working together is a lot easier yeah. when you can see someone or run over and, you know, well, not, not in COVID, we'll say pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but we talk a lot on the podcast about, yeah, integration, collaboration, uh, yeah. you know, diversity and, and how all of those things uh, affect good ideas and the ability to come up with, with better ideas, really. Exactly. And, and that's one thing. Um, cities, like many large companies, are pretty siloed, right? I work in planning and community development, I work in public works, I work in the library or city attorney or whichever one it is, and you may not cross over as much as um, in right tech companies where it's all open and you're, you're moving around, right? right. Um, but what the city did was, right, we obviously use public funds, we are a public entity, so we needed to do a lot of due diligence on whether this was an appropriate use of public funds. So there were many studies done about, well, what if we built a code minimum building in Santa Monica, right? Because Santa Monica has um, uh, stretch or reach codes that make you do a little bit more than just Cal Green. Um, what if we did a lead platinum building? And then what if we did this thing called living building challenge? Um, and I remember, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and we hired Skanska, an outside consultant, to do the construction analysis to say, right, for a typical 50,000 square foot office building that would house approximately 240 folks um, and be public on the first floor or invite the public in on the first floor, what would that cost, right? So they, they did that cost analysis and it's still on our website because it's, you know, the data is from 2014. Um, so it's been a couple of years now, but the percentage increase of doing full living building challenge was pegged at about 9%. So that is a cost, but to not have a power bill or a water bill ever, <laughs> right? Those things start to make sense. Yeah, to not actually, actually getting you to, you know, cost zero by, I, I don't know what the year exact 16. payback was. Year 16. It's year cool. 16. And because it's public funds, we don't, it's not a return on investment or payback, but we're cash positive because it's a bond. 
Um, but in year 16, we were cash positive. And so after 16 years of paying for a building, it's, it's ours. <laughs> we, we get to do other cool things for our, our public and our community. Um, and so that seemed to make a lot of sense. And being that the city of Santa Monica, right, our, our motto is literally a sustainable city, city of well-being. So we've been at the forefront, right, for since 1994, that was our first sustainable city plan. And then last year, 19, uh, 2019, 25 years later, we just re-upped and did our climate adaptation and action plan. Um, we have a goal of being still, right, even with COVID and all the things going on, yeah. right, carbon neutral on or before 2050. We have a council that pushes us to continue to do this work. We will be water self-sufficient. We're still on track by 2023. We want to be net wow. zero waste by 2030. So we have some very big goals and this building is the embodiment of that. So it's fiscally responsible. It is environmentally just and it works on social justice pieces as well because of the equity and inclusion pieces of Living Building Challenge and Santa Monica in general. Um, right? I, it, it, uh, the March, not March, May 31st, rioting and looting and protesting that went on at the billboards, the plywood that went up after to, you know, protect businesses and things. Mm-hmm. City services was there, right? We were still working in the building um, that whole next week with the National Guard here. But the way that Santa Monica has handled that with developing and approving a Black agenda by making uh, you know, a third third party review of what happened that day and working with our police department to make strategic and meaningful and impactful changes in um, their program and, and funding for them. Uh, there's a lot that's come out that Santa Monica just does and that we try really hard to be at the, the forefront of those justice, equity, inclusion, environmental um, and well-being discussion points. Um, this building feels like it talks about all of those things. It's that intersectionality between environmentalism and social justice. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful building to be in, which is also really cool <laughs> as a design professional. The, yeah, the completed project at some point. Do you guys have, um, I'm curious, anything, I should have looked this up, but on online, like have you done like a video tour or anything of the completed building that, that people can access? Yes, um, on Earth Day, right, it was on purpose to be the 50th anniversary of Earth Day to have the grand opening and obviously due to COVID that didn't occur. Um, But what we did was we partnered with the USGBC or USGBC approached us and and agreed, of LA um, approached us and we did a, it's an hour, hour and a half with questions, but it's an hour long tour of the building with each of our partners. So you have the mechanical engineers talking about the, the MEP systems and the water systems and the compost systems, which I know you have been excited about as, yeah, yeah, as I am, about for sure. <laughs> um, also our general contractor talking about the materials and what this meant for construction and subcontractors and sort of that supply chain that you were talking about, um, as well as our landscape designer who talks about the edible landscapes and what they thought about and plants that actually can clean the air for us and and all of those sorts of things. So it's a pretty in-depth dive, um, but I highly recommend it. And you know, there's no one in the building really. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty, it's nice to be there and the toilets work and the lights turn on and it's, it's, it's a beautiful space. Do you have people, this is an aside, but do you have mm-hmm. people that are going in and just like using it for the sake of 
you know, like you turn on your car if you're gone for like a month, you know, you ask your neighbor to go like turn on your car once a week or something. Do you have things that are happening like that? We, we do. Um, yeah. So everyone's stuff has now been moved into the building okay. um, because we, we do have other projects going on. Um, public works construction is considered essential. And so we needed to distance, right? So we needed to be mindful, um, but we were able to still continue uh, being there. So okay. uh, our finance department portion of that is on the first floor. There's two of them on a floor that's made for 50 um, <laughs> to use round numbers. And the second floor, there's really not anyone there. That's our um, planning community development, which has now uh, been changed. Um, we had department, we had some consolidation of departments occur, mm -hmm. but there's really maybe one person on that floor, a handful of days. Um, and the third floor where architecture is and engineering, I think there's generally about four or five of us. Um, All right. So, so there's today, some people. I'm, I'm working from home today, but <laughs> uh, I do go in two or three days a week, right, for other construction projects. There's just some things in architecture and construction that you have to be on site for. So yeah. you go on site, you distance, obviously wear a mask um, and those sorts of things. So. It has changed, but it's still going forward. We still use the toilet systems. Right? We were, we we're anticipating having monthly maintenance on them and we, we've had them come out once because we just don't have the usage yet. Um, I want to go back for a second to uh, this, the studies that were done beforehand. You mentioned mm -hmm. that 9% delta mm -hmm. between code, uh, Santa Monica code at the time and um, in the living building. What? Do you know, have there been any sort of retroactive studies done or maybe in the, the in the actual process of building it? Was there any calculation done as to whether that um, price went up or I guess I'm assuming perhaps down um, due to the fact that the study had been done four or five years prior to the actual construction? We, we've not done a formalized study. I'll say mm -hmm. that, but... Uh, what we have done is we are under budget, which is nice. awesome and amazing, right? You always hear about the overruns and, and budget and schedule on public projects. That did not occur that here. That deserves a, a round of applause Yay! right there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> That's a big deal. Um, and we're proud of that. So we were under budget. And the way the budget was developed, there were a lot of allowances to say, we don't know how much we're going to spend extra on LBC materials mm -hmm. for one, right? So we're going to set aside some money that says, if we need access to it, we can have it. But if we don't need to use it, then we, we the city, get that money back. Um, and in, I, I do have to credit, right, our, our contractor, we brought them on early and they had a one specific woman who was dedicated to the materials because that was really the biggest red, or not red um, fluctuator for us. We just yeah. didn't know. Um, and she, right, with subs in the very beginning, worked with them. What are you, what are you thinking about using? Let me vet that. Okay, what, di what do you want to use in your bid? Let me vet that. Okay, what did you install? Let me vet that, right? And if, if all of those three things were the same, her job was easy, but in a lot of, not easy, but easier. Um, <laughs> but in a lot of instances, things adjust and change. And so um, the fact that we were able to come under, in under budget, um, really felt good, <laughs> right? Yeah. That we had planned effectively and efficiently for this. We also now know going forward, you know, and we're happy to talk to people about, well, where did we spend a little more and where did we dramatically over 
overthink it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the Living Building Challenge in general is that it's a community of sharing, right? If you are trying to do a living building project, come talk to us. We are happy to share what went well, where we needed to learn some things and what we would do differently on the next one. Um, we worked really hard with our regulatory partners to be able to even get the building through. I'd say a lot of the cost, um, you know, th there's been a lot of discussion. It is an expensive building, but we spent two years in permitting, right? Normally you get a permit and it says 68 weeks, maybe there's a round or two of that, but you're looking at like a handful of months that you would get a building permit. For us, it was two years because we wanted to treat human waste on site, right? That we wanted foam flush composting toilet. That, that was that was hard. We had to work with the county public health for a while on that one. Um, and I am- sent them up to the Bullet Center in mm -hmm. Seattle, if I remember yeah. uh, correctly. Absolutely. And so there was a lot of work to say, we will bring you along. We will show you that these things are actually more sanitary, right? And, and, and we have an industrial hygienist that tests regularly. We have, right, we had to do um, gas analyses and all sorts of things when we first turned them on because people didn't know. And they said, well, we'll go with you on this, but you got to prove these things. And mm -hmm. that's totally fine. And that's one of the things the city has taken very seriously that we can and should be taking a leadership role on these things if we want others to do this as well. And so mm -hmm. we, we, we spent a lot of time on it. And I will say uh, the county has signed off on the composting toilet system, which is amazing. Um, they also are recommending them in very small instances, but they're actually to the point where they're recommending them now. And so that's a big change from, you know, four years ago. Saying, hold um, on, wait. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, we don't think do this do? is gonna work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That's incredible. Um, and, and that was all so, due, I mean, you know, a huge part of the green building community, um, sustainability community is, is about case studies. You know, you need, you need buildings like this. You need guinea pigs mm -hmm. to, to go out there and, and try some next level stuff, um, you know, and, and succeed in order to then be able to say, hey, look, um, and one of the cool things I think too about the, the ILFI and, and Living Building Challenge is that they require, like you don't get your certification until a year after the building yeah. is completed and you've been operating it. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there's some weirdness with <laughs> having seven people in the building and how that's yeah. going to affect that, but maybe they'll give you an extra six months or something. But, um, but yeah, I mean that it's not just about the design. It's also about the operation and, and again, proving that you did what you said you were going to do. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's really, necessary in, in as far as moving uh, the needle, you know, on the city level, but also if you can do it on the city level, then developer could do it for a market rate building or for, you know, some larger community development or something like that. And, and that, those are the people that really, that's where the needle needs to, needs to move a little bit quicker. Um, yeah. And it's, I'd say it's one of the reasons why I was so excited about this project. I'm a resident of Santa Monica. So as a, as a community member, even before working there, I was so proud of Santa Monica for taking this on because mm -hmm. Southern California did not have a living building. Um, for context, uh, Northern California, Sacramento has the first living building in, in California, but they concepted their project, permitted it, built it and operated it and got certified before we finished construction. 
<laughs> right, so from when we started to when we finished was a lot longer than, than their process. And so they're actually the first, you know, uh, foam flush toilets in California. Uh, oh, we wow. guess they were the first in Southern California. Um, but that again, is an architecture office. Mm-hmm. Um, of, I, I believe they're around 30 or 40 people. Okay. Um, so and smaller we build, building, yeah. Smaller building. Um, they owned their building uh, and it was renovation of it. So um, it, it's a beautiful project. Um, it's called Arch, Arc Nexus. Um, but we were also, the, we are the first, as far as I know, um, municipal building and we are, are inviting the public in, right? So it's not just, you know, office workers who are using um, composting toilets and drinking water that we have harvested from our rainwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the first in California to be able to do that, which is really cool. Um, we have a mini water treatment skid in the basement of the building and our water resources department operates that. And so, um, as you, yeah, which is, which is great. Um, but it's also a resiliency strategy, right? If yeah. there's a water main break, our building doesn't go down. If there's a sewer break, our building doesn't go down. If there's a power <laughs> outage, um, right? We, we are not islanded. We don't have batteries yet. Hopefully, as you asked about, what else are we looking at? Yeah. Um, but there is, you know, there, there's there's uh, solar power on the roof, and um, we have a, a canopy that covers the EV chargers and van sharing and those sorts of stalls. And if I might ask, what, how much is is this particular building responsible for that overall? You mentioned being water um, independent by 2023 in mm-hmm. Santa Monica. I didn't realize that 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 was. Uh, you know, that that goal was so close, how big a part of that was, um, was this building or did the building just sort of come along with an existing strategy or can, how were those two things integrated? Our office of sustainability and the environment has definitely been working. I mean, that that they're the ones that developed the climate adaptation and action plan. Um, So the water strategy Santa Monica has wanted for a while to be water self-sufficient. We have an aquifer underneath of us. Mm -hmm. Um, It was unfortunately contaminated by a uh, VOC release, I'm going to call it, um, that just finally got uh, cleaned up. And so that aquifer is now able to be drink drink from again. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously we've been working very hard on that energy water nexus. So the less water that we need to import I probably don't need to tell you guys, right? The less energy and therefore carbon is emitted. And so getting off of that water uh, and staying on our own water um, was really important. Uh, if you remember the droughts of the, when it was really bad, which I think was like 2015. It was probably right around there. It was right around 15, yeah. right? No, ne- never let, my, my previous colleague used to say, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Yeah. That was where composting toilets, which use three tablespoons instead of 1.6 gallons per flush, seemed like an idea we should probably explore. And that those 20% reductions in water consumption that were made at the state level, we just didn't get rid of, right? So encouraging our community members to reduce their water consumption, right? Only use potable water for potable needs, Mm -hmm. not, you know, um, watering the lawn lawn and those sorts of things. Um, And reusing water when you can, right? That gray water. So, that has really put us on a path where we're able to achieve that as well as LA receives enough water to sustain itself. But what we do is we pipe it and we send it out to the ocean. And that's 
was done for a very real reason, right? LA used to flood a lot. Mm-hmm. There was some, some, there was a lot of deaths and I think it was 1932 that was like, we got to channel this and get rid of it. So there was a real reason why. Um, but what Santa Monica's approach has been or is working towards is to capture that water and then reuse it. So we have a bunch of uh, the Clean Beaches Project, which is basically a football field sunk 40 feet in the ground. Wow. And it captures all of the runoff from downtown Santa Monica and holds it and then sends it off to Smurf to be treated. And then it can be reused or sent to the ocean in a clean fashion as opposed to dirty water or that, that first flush. Um, we also have our SWIP project going on, which is tied to living building or to the city services building in that that's the storm uh, sustainable water innovation project. Hmm. And that again, it's, it's uh, over by the civic arena, which is it's under construction right now. But that again, uh, what that project will do is take 10% of the city's sewer and treat it to a standard that it can be sent to the ocean as opposed to Hyperion. And so that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of water, but being able to deal with that black water in a different way, right, then and treating it to a standard that it is either reusable or, or can be safely discharged. Because Hyperion um, is what, 20 miles? Or something uh, like probably, that. Probably, yeah, 15, yeah. 20 miles maybe. So the energy required to pump that water exactly. up there, I mean, even a 10% reduction is, is large. It's big. Yeah. And that's where it ties into the city services building is that, right, we have our, um, our foam flush toilets, mm-hmm. uh, but what the, uh, the state was willing to let us deal with the solids, but the liquid, the leachate, they were not um, okay on. And mm-hmm. so that still needed to go somewhere and so we tied with swip so that that right, that that amount of water basically is treated at swip so that it's not having to go um, so while it goes off site a little bit it's something called scale jumping in the living building challenge um, so we're using an off-site thing to deal with that black water very cool very cool so those things so it's, it's not directly it wasn't like well, we're going to do this building because that's going to get us to water self-sufficiency but it ties into the larger water strategy for sure that's incredible um yeah i love i mean w- what you guys are doing is in, in, in not incentivizing but really focusing on or have done and are continuing to do is focusing on on-site uh you know reuse capture you mentioned um you know energy production uh, with your with your solar panels, um, and you know when it comes to resiliency, you know whether it be a flood, whether it be drought, you know whatever the the natural um, issue might be, that gives you this ability to say, okay, we're going to be okay. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you're working for the city at a, at a large on large scale buildings, but are there conversations going on as to how to incentivize that on a, on a small scale for, you know, single family homeowners or neighborhoods um, within, within the city? Uh, Are you part of those discussions as well? Yes. And I'd say our office of sustainability and and the environment takes the lead on that, right? That is really their, their bailiwick. And they were obviously very involved in this project. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and continue to be, right? They are actually, when, when people come back, they will be in the building as well, which is yeah. really exciting. Um, but um, what they look at, right? Santa Monica just, I think, it, I think it enacts at the end of this year is the, uh, our next reach code, right? So the last code cycle 
went into effect January 1 of this year. And then Santa Monica generally um, follows with our next reach code. And there's been, a, they've been doing a lot of outreach to get people ready for that um, and take input on what should that be. And so how do we um, guide people towards the resources to be able to do it, but also um, to build in a manner in which, you know, uh, help Santa Monica achieve our collective goals. Um, a big one right now for us is building electrification. Uh, right, so we put forth a Clean Power Alliance two years ago, I believe, um, which is 100% green energy, and you can opt out of it down to a 60% and a 30, uh, 33%, basically, so one third, two third, 100%. Um, and so really what the codes right now are focusing on is how do we get natural gas and combustion out of buildings? One, it's a lot safer to not have flames in your house. Um, it's also way better for your indoor air quality and reducing those you know, asthma and, and respiratory infections. And right, COVID has presented in a lot of different ways, but some underlying conditions like asthma and, and respiratory distress seem to make it worse. Um, so there's a public health piece as well when you talk about building electrification. Um, and then uh, the ability to choose 100% renewable energy, therefore also furthers the goal of reducing our carbon footprint as a city and as individuals. And so there's a lot of resources. Um, I'd say they've set some pretty lofty goals with the uh, Climate Adaptation and Action Plan. And now it's about implementing those and helping our community members be able to embrace that and do that in their projects. And so that's really exciting as well is as I'm a practitioner, right, and they do a lot on the policy side, and how do we, how do we help, help everyone in any type of project, whether it's a small renovation project or a big, large development, um, what can we do? Um, I've always, and always, from, from, from the last 15 years, my one thing has been, you can always do one thing, and to do one thing is better than nothing. So what is the one thing you can do, and how can we help achieve that? Yeah, and, and you know, we talked a little bit about case studies on, on a large scale, but then the, that ten percent idea kind of opens it up to yeah, exactly. You can do you take these little chunks and say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna try to implement this strategy. We're not gonna change because that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, people people are scared of change, right? There's a lot of fear yeah. around around change, and. So to say, well, you don't have to totally change overnight here. We're just asking you to change this one in this one area, you know, or, or be one step uh, closer to where we're going. You know, those, those are changes that people I think generally can get behind because it doesn't require a complete mindset shift. It simply requires like a low level of buy-in, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, that, that's one area where uh, I recently attended uh, Ed Masria is the, um, the carbon, the 1.5 degrees Celsius carbon reset um, event that he had. And you know, he threw out there, all we have to do is reduce embodied carbon in new buildings by 50%. And we will turn the tide on this, on this global warming thing. And to okay. hear that, to hear somebody come out and say, you know, it's not about doing everything. It's about doing some of the things well, yeah. you know, that, that seems way more manageable and way more palatable uh, than, than I think, you know, this black or white, all or nothing um, approach, which, you know, 
not to, I try not to bring too many politics in, but you know, certain or all political parties would have you think that it's either one thing or the other. And most of the time, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and the world is uh, gray. <laughs> yeah, the world is gray. Generally exactly. not black and white. <laughs> <laughs> um, Living Building Challenge, like where, where does it go next? I mean, is it, has it reached, you know, the, the ultimate, is if every building was a Living Building Challenge building, would we be out of the woods here? Or, you know, are there, uh, have you talked to people about, about where they're, they're headed? It's, it's interesting. I mean, yes, on one hand, I absolutely believe that if we could build every building to actually sustain itself and its occupants, we'd be in a lot better shape, <laughs> um, right? You can, we can, there's still transportation and there's still, you know, industrial sector and agriculture sector and there's still other carbon emitters, but for buildings, generally it's about a 30% of the profile. So that would make a big dent in it, right? Um, there's, and as you mentioned, as Masveria, right? And he talks about if we could just get rid of carbon, or not carbon, um, uh, aluminum, steel, and uh, concrete in our, building, right? I think it accounts for like 17% of carbon emissions or something like that in the building sector. Like that's a big deal. Um, and that's something that we do have control over. So I think part of Living Building Challenge is that advocacy piece. And that's one of the other things that I really appreciate about it is it's not just, I did a good job. It's like, well, I care about carbon in my materials and I wanna use your material, but I need a carbon profile or I need to know how are you meeting a net or a neutral carbon delivery or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and where we were talking about the EPDs, environmental product declarations and HPDs, health product declarations. All right. Those are all things that are really impactful when we talk about how do you move forward and the living building challenge, you have to do that advocacy work. You have to literally send letters that say, I want to use your product, but I need da 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 can you provide that? And some were like, absolutely, that's a great idea. And now they're marketing their products, right, in a different way. Um, others were like, I don't know what you're talking about, but this is what we do. And you're like, actually, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> so some of those things are really nice. Um, that's, that's good to hear, actually. That's kind of like a surprising We, thing we surprised a, a couple of them. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was very cool. Um, it's also, right, construction is messy and it's an industry we've been building buildings the same way for a hundred years right mm -hmm. 16 inches on center with wood studs right <laughs> um which some of us are trying to adjust but um right the fact that we had subs uh work like telling the other subs no no no, don't use that material because it wasn't red list compliant right that's a big deal for them to regulate each other they will take that with them on their next projects, we hope. Mm -hmm. um, but they, that mindset of we're in this together and it's not business as usual, right? Just changing that script between, well, this is the way I do the thing is really helpful and it's really yeah. encouraging and it's very powerful. Um, and highlighting, I, I would think, uh, not to interrupt, but you know, I would think that also maybe those subs now have an idea that some of those healthier products aren't actually crazy expensive because I think there's an mm -hmm. overall sort of cloud over the industry that that says, yeah. you know, oh, healthier materials equals higher cost. And um, that's that's sometimes true, but also sometimes not true. And it, it, there are a couple companies, um, the one that's coming to mind is uh, Mindful Materials. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are a couple of companies out there that are trying to you know, say, hey, 
based on these EPDs and, and HPDs, we've put together lists of, you know, products for everything that are available that are healthier alternatives. Yeah. And, you know, that is a resource then and technology, you know, that, that we can utilize as, as designers or, you know, um, code folks or, you know, whatever we can start to integrate that and point people toward those things and toward those products and, and materials that, you know, really aren't that much more expensive. And in some cases, you know, I would venture a guess that within the next two to five years, they'll probably be less expensive because the technology continues to improve and, and the processes for, for how they're manufactured and, um, you know, those costs end up coming down as they scale. So that's really encouraging. Um, Definitely. And there's a study that just came out from ULI that actually says uh, they, they studied um, uh, the impact of materials and a, a variety of things, but there were six outcomes. Uh, this was something I just heard at the Net, uh, Net Zero conference that I nice. saw your name at. Yeah. <laughs> um, Vertical that, Media, Drew Shula. Exactly. Doing great yep. stuff. That's cool. They are doing amazing stuff. Um, but that the one that I took from that was that it was cost neutral. Hmm. I was like, how is this not being screamed from the rooftops? Right. <laughs> cost neutral. It's like, come on. <laughs> Don't you um, want healthier homes and buildings like exactly. people that are living in these things? <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it, it has, it has been a script where it's like, oh, sustainability is only for the rich or it's only right. for, it's always going to cost you more money. Um, I'd say in our building, one of the things we worked hard to do is just reduce the number of materials, right? Which hmm. is also a cost savings there because there's, there's not as much overage. There's not, you know. Um, as much waste and those sorts of things. So you, you can keep control and costs better as well. Um, but it's, and, and one of the other things with the living building challenges, we actually share our product list, um, our materials list as we go through the certification. So we are in the process of submitting everything right now, other than that performance verification that you talked about. Um, no, we are not able to start yet with only seven people in the building. You gotta um, wait until it's fully yeah. occupied, yeah. We don't know if it's fully occupied. We're working with ILFI to say, is it 50%? Is it 75%? Does it need Some to be 100? Quorum, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because I don't, I don't know when we'll have 100%. Right. You know, just due to COVID and, and, and we'll see. But we've also proved that folks can work from home. Um, right. It, that was something that was really hard for the city and was very wary about. Um, but COVID forced all of that. And it's working. I mean, it, 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 there's some things that are not working as well, but there's some things that were a lot easier than we were expecting. So yeah. um, I, I, I keep looking for silver linings of COVID and that at least is one of them. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I definitely want to ask about what Santa Monica has in the pipeline as far as, you know, new projects go. We were talking before I started recording about how uh, I remember watching a TED talk by Elizabeth Gilbert, the Eat, Pray, Love uh, author. You know, she wrote this, it was her first book and it blew up. And then she sat down to write her second book and was like, oh no, like, should I try to, should I like be a chef or something now? Like maybe, <laughs> maybe my, uh, my moment as an author has, uh, you know, has, has come and gone. Yeah, I peaked, exactly. So <laughs> has Santa Monica peaked or how do you, how do you um, sort of synthesize, I guess, you know, what was done with, with uh, City Hall East and then take that 
into projects that obviously are very different and have different goals um, and different sites and different, uh, you know, design plans. Um, how are you able to use some of that or not use some of that? Or, you know, what's the approach when it comes to, to new projects? Well, it's an excellent question because it is, uh, right, having the world's most sustainable municipal building sounds like a pretty good peak. We could, yeah, <laughs> all right, we did our part. You guys We're good. just retire, yeah. <laughs> But that, that's not how Santa Monica works, thankfully. Um, yeah. And it's one of the things, you know, I've had people ask, well, are you going to stay past when the building is done? And I was like, well, yeah, it's still Santa Monica. Like, we're still going <laughs> to do some pretty good things, um, which is awesome. And I'd say, uh, would we do every new construction project as a living project? I don't think so, um, but we will certainly take what we've learned and apply it. And so on our city yards project, which is under construction, right, we were uh, looking at our embodied carbon, right? Because that was something that is, is now able to be tracked better and mm -hmm. used as a design tool with EC3. And I don't exactly remember what that stands for, but it's a tool that tracks the embodied carbon of a design. Embodied Carbon calculator. Construction calculator. Construction calculator. Yeah, there we go. That's the three C's. Yes. And I'll give another shout out to Skanska because they, in uh, in partnership with the Carbon Leadership Forum, actually came up with that uh, open source tool that is available to anybody. So that's pretty awesome. Which is huge. And the fact that it's open source, like you could charge money for it, but it's one of the other things that I love. Like if we're in this, we're in this together. Yeah. And we need to share with each other. <laughs> we need to just figure out our carbon problem. Um, and the only way to do that is with tools. So, yep. um, you know, the, from everything that I've heard, the EC3 tool is really good. Um, but so we're, we're looking at what is that one thing we can do? We're doing a renovation on historic city hall. So the folks that we moved out of historic city hall into the city services building or city hall East, um, we're now replacing a roof, replacing the HVAC units where this project will remove combustion from city hall, which is wow. very exciting. Yeah. Um, so we're still working on those carbon goals, uh, but we're also looking at, well, what can we do, right? It's an interior remodel, basically. I mean, it's a new roof, a new HVAC, but after that, it's pretty much new paint, new carpet, right? Take down some walls, re rearrange some furniture. Um, you know, it, it, it would have been a much bigger touch, but obviously budgets have been severely impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, but what we're looking at, right, how, what can you do to a historic structure? There was a, a product that was brought forth, um, again, at that uh, clean tech incubator, the, the or accelerator, I think it was oh, the word yeah, they yeah. used at the conference, um, the, where you can paint the windows and it increases the R value. And it's better than a film because the films sometimes come off and they have UV issues sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but this one, dramatically increases the window value and you can still see through them perfectly clear. Um, we're like, you know what, let's try it out. Let's, let's see if this is something that we could or should use because, you know, especially in a historic structure, windows are like yeah. sacrosanct. You can't replace them with double pane windows or an argon filled, you know, triple pane. We're not allowed. So what can we do? Um, the units that are going on top of the, the building are mini splits that are super efficient and we're expecting to reduce the energy consumption significantly with replacing those units as well as a, a cool roof and leaving space for solar. Can we afford the solar right now? No. But do we hope to at some point? Yes. Um, we also have to work with our landmarks commission to say, 
can we put solar on a historic structure? <laughs> right, that's a different conversation. How can we but, do it where we can't see it? <laughs> right. And it's still effective and yeah. you know, those sorts of things. But it, um, so there's a lot of exciting things as well as, right, as I had mentioned, SWIP coming up, like digging into those larger goals. And then what I love about public sector that I didn't or ha hadn't known before I got here was that you can actually inspire a community. You can hopefully bring them along with you, not shove them <laughs> into, right. into a direction, but you have the ability to say, here's where the goalposts are. How do you want to get there? Right. And that, so you're still encouraging that entrepreneurship and encouraging that spirit of what can we do together? What can you do as an individual? What, what, what do we want to do? If these are the goals that we have set as a community, how are we going to get there? And it's yeah. really exciting to see that creative process and how our community members look at things differently, which is always nice to hear. You know, it, a lot of times we just get yelled at for things <laughs> or it feels <laughs> like we just get yelled at, but we also have some really smart community members that have some really good ideas. And in that spirit of working together, um, I appreciated the Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote where it's like, you can stand up for your ideals, but you want to do it in a way that you can still bring people with you. And I'm totally butchering her quote, but <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all right. That that's, I do that on the of, daily here. So yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> but that idea that you can have strong opinions, but have them in a way that is a gathering statement as opposed to a separating statement is something that I hope that we get better and better at and continue to thrive on um, because Right. We're, all, we're all in this together. We all live on the same planet. So yeah. what helps one helps another. And that's, that's awesome. Cool. You know, what came to mind, actually, uh, my wife just recently took, she's going back to school and took a physics class and, you know, we're doing everything from home. So like I was essentially taking a physics class as well, which is great because <laughs> I did terribly in physics in high school. Um, and I remember one little, one little picture in the book, which was, when you're pushing something, mm -hmm. you actually, there's force that's coming down at the ground. And so friction increases. Whereas mm. if you are pulling something at that exact same angle, then that friction lessens. And the force that's going in that horizontal direction is the same regardless. You're pushing or pulling this with the same force, but the fact that you're pulling instead of pushing actually makes it easier to move the object. And wow. so when you were just saying like not pushing people along, but, but pulling them with you, you know, that's such a great visual. And maybe there's a couple engineers listening to the podcast and hopefully they just smiled. Um, <laughs> but simple I love, machines. yeah, simple machines. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the last question I'll ask, because um, you already talked about like cool new innovations and materials and you've already, most of my like, you know, regular questions you just answered naturally. So one thing that's kind of come up through, through the podcast as a theme for me has been this idea that these new technologies that, you know, we're talking about um, really aren't, you know, we're using new technology, we're using computers, we're using modeling, we're using, um, you know, software, we're utilizing new technology, certainly. But when it comes to the actual design, we're really going back. You know, we're, we're going back in a way because we didn't have this infrastructure in the early, you know, development of like pre-aqueduct, like you didn't have to pump water anywhere. You just, you just dug a well. 
it was pretty passive. It didn't require, yeah. you know, required some elbow grease and, you know, maybe a couple neighbors, but like it, it was just there. And you lived where there was water. And you lived where there was water. Exactly. So, um, you know, rather than talking about new technologies, are there any sort of passive technologies or, or old ideas that, that you'd like to um, maybe highlight in the creation of this building was, was something that struck you as like, Oh, wow. That's, you know, something that the Native Americans did or that the, you know, um, early Babylonians, <laughs> you know, had, had on point. Well, I've not studied early Babylonian architecture, <laughs> Neither um, to be fair, but <laughs> um, I'd say the, one of the big ones in this building that is, especially because we're so close to the coast, um, is natural ventilation. Right. Mm. I've worked in high rises. I've worked in low rises. I've like, lived in houses. Right. And um, the ability to open a window and have a window on the other side so that that air can flow through naturally um, is amazing. Um, the, 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 the width of the building is on purpose narrow is narrow. Now, mm. one of that is effective of the site. We have a very narrow straight. It was a very constricted construction site. Um, because it is attached to historic city hall. Um, but what that narrow floor plate does is one, it increases daylight, which means you don't have to turn on lights, which means you don't have that extra heat generated from there. Your natural ventilation coming through, right? Just having a breeze as you sit there, it makes the world a difference, right? And then um, instead of going immediately to HVAC, right, as is normal. And I always joke that we should seat people by whether you're hot or you're cold, not what division you're in, because that would solve a lot of issues. Um, and nobody ever gets it right. And so human centric. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you need to sit? Right. And if you're having a hot day today versus a cold day yesterday or throughout your day, like people should be able to get up and move. And that's, uh, you know, it, another COVID silver lining with working from home a bunch, I think people are realizing like, you need to get up and move. And even if it's like, I need to check that my dog went out or that my kid's Zoom is working or that I need to go get a glass of water, right? You, I, I, from what I've heard from coworkers as well as my own experience, you get up a little bit more and that's a good thing. Um, but the, sorry, I got off track there, but having natural ventilation come in, we then also have radiant slabs, which if you've never been in a space that is radiant, heated or cooled, it's so nice. But that immediacy of like the American culture and where we are in general as a society, um, right, radiant temperatures work slower, but it's a lot more consistent. It's a lot more even. You don't get hot spots and air dumping on your head and all those sorts of things that make it a lot more pleasant. And you're actually heating and cooling where humans are standing versus trying to mix air, which takes more energy. Um, Sally, you know, fighting over the thermostat all day long and, you know, exactly. one of them quitting because they, they just can't handle <laughs> the, yeah. the constant fight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I've worked in those offices and it, it's hard when you're like, I'm freezing and I can't use my fingers or I'm so hot I can't concentrate, mm -hmm. right? Or even just a little uncomfortable and now I'm just annoyed, right? <laughs> All mm -hmm. those things happen, but that ability to bring natural air into the building and use what Mother Nature is giving us is huge. Um, and right, our building literally breathes. As you talk about a living building, 
there's a, a smart brain, right, which is not an old technology, that's a new technology, but it's using an old technology just more efficiently and effectively than I open a window because I want it, but it may be throwing off other things, right? So having the, the, the smart connected brain or hub so that the old technology can function best is really kind of cool in my opinion. Um, I'd also say composting toilets, right? The foam flush toilets, that's not a new thing. That's what was always done, right? You dig a hole and that's where you go to the bathroom. Tree but, goes there 20 years from and now. A, yeah. And a tree goes <laughs> there. Um, but what has changed or what has been improved upon is the sanitation of that, right? Mm -hmm. No one's coming in contact with feces or urine. Mm -hmm. That it goes into a bin and that that bin is made to make compost and the maintenance of it, right? Instead of having all these pipes with wiggles and things get clogged and all of that, right? goes straight down. And the maintenance is you get a rake and you get wood chips mm. and you rake it, what do they say? You want it to look like, uh, like a, a batter where it's all even, not lasagna where it's layered. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> it's probably more information than I needed, but, um, but again, are, you are then using that or giving it to someone to, to then use, uh, civically, right? Well, not yet. Um, not yet. right. Okay. The compost we intend, we, we figured even at full capacity, it was going to be a year and a half or two years before it was harvestable. Okay. Um, right. Just for the amount of matter. And then right. When you're mixing it in with wood chips and water, basically, mm -hmm. um, compost just takes a little while to make. Um, so we, we figured it was 18 months to two years. Obviously we haven't really started the system. They've only had to come out and maintain it once. Yeah. Um, but essentially it's a giant worm bin, right? So if you think about if you've worm composted at home, how long that takes to make compost, this is just on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the same, I think it's even the same material as a worm bin. It's just big. Mm -hmm. um, but it's taking that old technology and bringing it into the 21st century where it is sanitary and it is safe. And you're not looking down at a vault toilet with blue stuff in it, <laughs> right? If you go camping and those sorts of things where you're like, ew, and that smells gross and all those things. This is not that. <laughs> this is, well, it's that just with really good ventilation and it's a normal toilet um, and you don't have to look at it. So it's, it's bringing those old technologies forward. Um, in, in, in my opinion, but it, it's super exciting to see as well. And I will make one more plug for composting toilets is that um, we've been, if you've seen with COVID, right, they're saying like toilets, right, they aerate or they aerosol what's in the water because when you flush, obviously it sucks it all down. Regular flush toilets are kind of gross. That's why you're supposed to put the lid down before you flush them. It's not necessarily because no one wants to see water in a bowl. It's because when it flushes, stuff flies out. Um, composting toilets don't do that. And so we're actually working with our industrial hygienist to test regular toilets on the same day, same humidity and all of that, and then test the composting toilets to see which actually is, um, produces less pathogens and bacteria and all the other things that are in around bathrooms because, and both our manufacturer and our industrial hygienist were like, yeah, no, that's an easy study. Like we've done that in other versions, just not with a composting toilet. And I was like, well, let's do it with a composting toilet now because we should, as, as you had said, that data and research, we take it very seriously. Public health is a very serious thing with our water and with our composting systems. And we want to be able to have that data back up to say, this is why this is a better solution and let us help you think about this differently. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us, you know, from thank home you for today. Having this is wonderful. Yeah. It's been a fantastic conversation and, um, I look forward to checking back in with you in a, you know, a couple months time or, and see. We'll get a tour at some point. Yeah, see what's next. And I'm definitely going to check out the, so where can you throw out the, the website where they can find? Um, so it's on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I, I can send it. Um, but if you go to YouTube and then write USGBC LA City Services Tour or okay, Earth cool. Day Tour, right? Some version of those words. Um, you'll see uh, USGBC's logo, and um, it starts with a woman named Erin Hammett, who used to be with the city. Um, she was our moderator, and then you get to hear me talk some more, and a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> nice. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as well for anybody listening. Awesome. So, thank you, Amber. This has thank been a, a true pleasure. And uh, thanks so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening.